My Car Guru, episode 221. And good morning, everybody. This is Lenny Lawson, the Car Guru, and I'm happy to be a part of your morning this morning. I hope you are, unless you, you know, just accidentally landed on this radio station. And if you did, just stay. Just stay for a few minutes. We'll see if we can find something to, to entertain you or at least interest you. I uh, did something yesterday that I never thought I would do again. I bought a four-wheeler. And no, it's not for me. It's probably for resale. Depends on how much I like riding it. But anyway, I had this gentleman that had purchased it and uh, just never used it. It actually, it's a 2019 model, and it has 15 miles on it. So did he need that, really? No. You know, a lot of people buy cars that way. They roll into a car dealership and look around and get get the bug real quickly and go in and say, well, let's just see what it would cost. Let's just see what the payments would be. Then they get in there and they say, can we afford that? Yeah, I think we can afford that. They end up driving off in a car without much thought. It's a big decision. And people think it comes down to a monthly payment. But as we all know, those monthly payments have to be repeated 12 times a year for sometimes up to uh, eight or nine years these days. So it's a it's an important thing to decide about. See, I buy a lot of stuff that um, that I like, but I know that I have no intention of keeping. Uh, you know, I really like the new F450. We got a couple 450s in. Uh, these are pulling vehicles, basically. I mean, it's a very heavy duty. It'll tow like 30,000 pounds. I mean, it is a monster. A big 6.7 liter diesel engine with like a thousand foot pounds of torque and 480 horsepower. I mean, it's what folks use to pull like fifth wheel campers and stuff like that. And every time I drive past it as I'm leaving the dealership, we've got them parked right now in a field beside the dealership because we don't have enough room on our lot for some reason or another. And every time I see us, you know, that looks so good. I'd like to drive. I'd like to have. No, no, I'm an F-150 guy, Lenny. You wouldn't be happy driving it. I know it looks good. Wheels are pretty. Interior's nice, but it rides rough, and you don't pull anything very often. And plus, my uh, F-150 will d- does just fine on my, my travel trailer, so I don't need it. I think this process, this mental gymnastics that we go through sometimes, we try to rationalize our way into making a purchase. You know, this thing really looks good on me, doesn't it? Uh, this sweater or this jacket or these shoes, you know, we go to the mall and we we end up coming back. At sp- we weren't going to spend anything, and then we come back, you know, with $500 on our Visa card. That's just kind of human nature, but we have to learn how to re- resist that, especially when you're buying cars and four-wheelers, unless you're in the business like me, and then you can resell it. Because the reason I bought that four-wheeler, to make a long story even longer, um, is to resell it. Yeah, I would like to ride around and stuff, but I already have a four-wheeler. It's it's a two-wheel drive four-wheeler, and I've had it for about 15 years now, and it's fine. I rarely ride it, and I would not ride this other one either. So if you are interested in this Suzuki King Quad 750 that's uh, like new, then I'll have it on my showroom floor um, on, well, probably this afternoon. It, it It's a little dusty. And we got to change the oil in it. Why would we need to change the oil with just 15 miles? Because it's been sitting. That's why. 
So I'm just hoping everything runs good. I think it's fuel injected and stuff, so we'll probably have to suck. If there's any gas in it, we'll have, probably have to suck it out and put new fuel in it and stuff. You gotta, you know, you've got to drive cars. That uh, a car sitting in a garage with old gasoline and old oil is is not a good thing. And uh, it's important to get them serviced before you plan on doing anything with it. So anyway, that's uh, that was an interesting thing. Also, I told you that uh, I had to buy a new parts van. Uh, we talked about this on previous show. Uh, I had to go all the way to Ohio to buy this van. Now, this is a Ford Transit van, and I am a Ford dealer, and I sell Ford Transit vans, but I can't get one. And if you can't get one, then uh, there's no sense wishing and praying and all that stuff because it's not going to happen. So I found this at a dealership up in oh North Central, Central North, somewhere in Ohio. Okay, I think it's near Can, 40 miles east of Canton, Ohio. And uh, I paid seven thousand dollars over window sticker for it. Now, this one is not for resale. This is going to be in my parts truck. Well, we get it down here, and we didn't know this. I sent drivers to get it. All we saw was outside pictures. It's got, um, it's got all kinds of shelving on the inside. And so I opened up the back of it, and I said, well, this isn't going to work. Not as my parts van, because we, you know, we ship a lot of big things like windshields and fenders and stuff like that. So I've got to take all that out. Thank goodness it's just bolted in. So we will, if you know anybody that needs some shelving for a van, I've got it. Uh, give me a call, 423-552-2020. That's the Guru hotline number. And I'll answer your questions about cars, trucks, vans, SUVs, and four-wheelers. Just give me a try. And uh, unbiased new car dealer experience, 44 years, just turned 66 you know, I had a lady tell me the other day, say, you look a lot older than you sound. Wasn't exactly sure how to take that. Well, at least I have a youthful voice. I do have a lot of gray hair, and some of it's letting loose on the top. My my brother said, Lenny, I just ne- never thought you would lose your hair. You always had a really nice thick crop on the top. Now, he started losing his hair about 15 years ago, and my dad was uh, thin on the top, so I guess... I guess my heredity has come to uh, reality on the top of my head. And anyway, at least I sound youthful. Okay, I'll take my first break, and we'll get into today's topic in just a minute. Okay, I'm back. One of the go-to topics on this radio program is how to keep from getting ripped off when you go buy a car. And a lot of this stuff is uh, still going on. Dealers are still misbehaving, and they're taking advantage of a seller's market. Now, but even when it was a buyer's market, when there were, you know, five and $6,000 rebates on vehicles and 0% financing, uh, dealers were selling cars really close to, at, well, either close to invoice price, which is the original price that they pay for the car, or below. And in some cases, many thousands of dollars below. Well, they had to make that up. You know that. They're not going to sell cars below their cost. I mean, they say, well, this is below our cost. It's not. Um, They're not telling you the whole story. But margins definitely do shrink when there's a large supply and less demand. So the FTC has kind of jumped in here, probably due to some complaints. There's not as many complaints as you would think. 
I just think a lot of these government regulators just have it out for car dealers. Maybe some of them have had some bad experiences as well, and I understand. But the FTC has this thing called the auto retail plan, and they want to eliminate a lot of the confusion in dealership advertising. So if a dealership offers a price in their advertising, they want it to be an out-the-door price, exclusive of taxes and you know registration fees and stuff like that. That's reasonable. Uh, you know, I think uh, what happens is a lot of dealers have different pricing because it is a suggested retail price. They can price their cars for whatever they want to, just like Walmart can price their grills for whatever they want to. But they got to be competitive with Home Depot, right, or what you can buy online. Well, car dealers have to be competitive as well. What happens, though, is, or what has happened over the years, is the dealerships at one time had, you know, really ag- aggressive pricing online. But when it came to the uh, in-store experience, uh, the customers got a different price. And so what they would do is if somebody came in and said, well, um, I saw this vehicle online and you had it priced, you know, $5,000 less than you're telling me it's priced for. Now, oh, well, we must have made a mistake. And they would either say, well, it was priced wrong online, or they would say, oh, yeah, well, you're just – I'm glad you saw that because uh, we – you know, we have this girl that puts in the prices. She probably just messed up. Nobody messed up. That was intentional. They were counting on the fact that you wouldn't look online. Well, that's changed now because just about everybody looks online. If you don't look online, you need to get your your really computer-savvy nephew or your daughter or somebody to look online for you before you go shopping on a dealer's lot. Uh, the online price is usually pretty aggressive. Now, it's it's less so now. Most dealers are pricing their vehicles at MSRP or higher due to the extremely limited supply and still a pretty good demand. I mean, the demand's not what it was three, four, five months ago because the interest rates have gone up, and it has really slowed things down. So anybody that tells you different is not being honest So the FTC is doing some good things. They're worried about junk fees as well. Let's talk. Let's look at some of the things that they're, or the what they call practices that they are targeting with new rules. Uh, One is misrepresenting or not clearly and conspicuously disclosing the total cost of any good or service for sale in ads or marketing. Okay, we kind of covered that. Number two, misrepresenting the existence of any fees interest charges, or other costs that are not reasonably avoidable for any good or service in ads or marketing. So, you know, as a new car dealer, if most dealers have a documentary or processing fees or whatever, and so these can range from, you know, four to $400 to maybe $1,000 or more in some places. So these are supposed to be disclosed. Uh, in the state of Tennessee, it's required to be conspicuous. But it's not. There's just an asterisk, you know, beside the price. And then it it refers to, if you scroll all the way down, you can see what the fees are for most dealers. Um, It also says uh, something they're trying to watch out for is misrepresenting any material restriction or limitation or condition concerning any good or service that would result in a mandatory charge or that may diminish the consumer's use of the good or service, including the amount the consumer receives. What? That's very confusing. So 
I guess if you were to um, buy the vehicle, and then all of a sudden they come in and say, well, we're going to have to do a market value adjustment on this. Let's say it's a, a Ford Bronco or something. And that was happened to a lot of Ford Bronco orderers, people who ordered them. You know, they were real early out of the chute when Ford opened up the um, the orders for Broncos, and they jumped in and ordered one or reserved one. And then it finally came in. Well, the market went nuts on those things, and, and people were paying fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 over sticker for them. And so there were some dealers that were had ordered these vehicles, and they said, well, I know, you ordered it, and it came in, and it's here, and you can have it, but you're going to have to pay this extra surcharge of $10,000. Well, the FTC says, no, you shouldn't do that. And, of course, I say no as well. Um, every single Bronco that we sold that, was, that the customer ordered, they bought it for MSRP, and we had probably 10 or 15 of those folks that immediately turned around and flipped their Bronco and sold it and then turned around and ordered another one. And we just kind of sat there and said, well... You know, we left some money laying on the table, but that's what we agreed to do, and we were sticking to it. Um, a number five, misrepresenting that a customer owes for any product or service the consumer did not agree to purchase. What would that be? Well, that would be like payment packing. So you tell somebody that their monthly payment is $500 a month when their actual monthly payment, if they didn't have an extended warranty in there that they didn't know about, didn't have gap insurance that they didn't know about, and didn't have mop and slop or whatever the, the package is that they call it. If you know those were included in a payment, but they didn't know about it, and they could have bought the car for $400 a month, but the dealership quotes them a payment of $500 a month. And then they sign a bunch of paperwork and put it on a, a flash drive, you know, and that's there's a lot of people don't even know what a flash drive is. I talked about that, you know, that there's this dealer, this customer that came to see me, and, and all of his paperwork was put on a flash drive. And he was just stunned when he found out that uh, the car that he purchased, uh, that he had financed it for 84 months instead of 60. And he thought he was financing for 60. He, Lenny, can you help me with this? And I said, sure. So we stuck the flashcard in my little computer, and I told him what he paid for that car, and he just had no idea. And all the different things that they had sold him and what they charged him. You know, it's one of the things I guess the FTC is trying to uh, eliminate. I hope they can. I wish they would go and, you know, have some undercover agents or something visit some of these dealers I know about, but they probably won't. Okay, number seven, charging for fees, interest, goods, services, or programs that have little or no added value. Now, so this would be, you know, a some type of a guarantee or warranty on something that really has no real, like, secure etch, whatever that is. You know, like etching your glass or etching your car so that you uh, can get a little bit extra money if somebody steals it or if it's totaled, you know, if it's a total loss. Uh, the likelihood of either of those events happening are but somewhere between slim and none. And when you buy a product like that, uh, you're not getting much. And most people just, and sometimes that's just packed in the payment. That, that's another thing that just really rakes me over the coals is when that happens. And thank goodness that there, are, there is some government oversight. You know, that one of the only things that you can do about this is to complain 
to your motor vehicle commission in your state, you can go to tn.gov if you live in Tennessee. I'm sure every state has a some type of a regulatory body that oversees dealer practices. You know, it may just be a the consumer division of something, you know, in a state. And you can complain to them. They get enough complaints, then they investigate. But, you know, if you don't complain to them, then nothing happens. So please complain. I would go to the dealership first, though, if it were me. I would be upset. I wouldn't go in there yelling and screaming. I'd just say, I need to speak to the general manager. What do you want to talk to him about? That's between me and him. Well, he's he's in Hawaii. Well, when does he come back? You know, you're, I'm going to talk to him. Uh, you know, sometimes the big shots in the business don't want to talk to you because they know that they're the final authority, and they can they can require their underlings to say no. And um, you know, and if the customer goes off the rails, then they can eventually get involved. But you know, I like to get involved in my business right up front. If somebody's upset, I want to know about it. It's a whole lot easier to solve it then than to wait until they've been put through the ringer, you know, by a bunch of other people saying, well, I don't know. Well, I don't know. You'll have to talk to Bob, you know. So you just got to find the right business to do business with. And, uh, you know, I'm still a big fan of, of a single point, uh, single owned dealership like mine where, you know, the people who own it work here. There's, a big well, there's been a big trend going for years and years and years. I mean, that's what Auto Auto Nation is just a big old corporation. I think they own it, a dealership up in uh, about 30 miles from me, and they have GMs, general managers that run the store. But uh, there's a corporate office, and they have very strict policies and procedures. And you know, if your problem doesn't fit into their plan, you're not getting any help. Uh, but sometimes when you go and actually talk to the owner of a business and he's got a lot at stake in the community and so forth and he wants to make people happy he doesn't want folks out there bad mouthing him then he'll probably take care of you you know i've had so many people come to me and and they've said over the years said lenny i i didn't buy this car from you but i can't seem to get it fixed anywhere else would you mind working on it i said absolutely not i have no problem with that i'd love to work on it maybe next time you'll buy from me but uh, let's see what the problem is. And then also, you know, you have a situation in the shop where a customer is out of warranty. And um, they've maintained their vehicle well. They've had it in here on a regular basis, getting the oil changed and so forth. Well, guess what? If they have a problem and it's pretty expensive, even if it's a motor, transmission, air conditioning, something like that, if the warranty has expired, and they've got a good relationship with that dealership, that dealership can get something done. And it may just be, you know, discounting the part or, or maybe paying for the labor and the customer pays for the parts or the business pay or the Ford or Nissan or Honda or whatever pays for the parts and you pay for the labor. Or, you know, just at a matter of goodwill, they pay for it all. And the dealers um, that go to bat for their customers are the ones who get the positive answers from the manufacturer. Doesn't always happen. You know, and if you haven't maintained your car, if you've been going to Jiffy Lube the whole time, not that there's anything wrong with Jiffy Lube. I don't want to get sued by them. But if you've been going to some outside vendor, then all of a sudden, you know, after you've run out of warranty 
and they and that independent shop says, well, you know, you've got to have a new air conditioning compressor. And you go back to the dealership and say, hey, I need a new air conditioning compressor. I'm just barely out of warranty. They'll look at your your service history and they'll say, sorry, we can't help you. This is what it will cost. You'll have to pay for this. Well, it just went out of warranty. Well, no. But now if you'd had it serviced at that dealership on a regular basis, they'll say, no problem. We'll get this covered. Now, that won't happen, you know, when you have 200,000 miles on a vehicle when your warranty expired at 100. Not going to happen. But if you're just, you know, like 15, 20,000 miles over, then you can get something done. You just have to ask and talk to the right person. I'm the right person here at Gateway. But uh, you may not be driving a Nissan or a Ford. You know, if you've got a Chevrolet or a Honda or Toyota, whatever, take it back to that dealership. Do business with them. I know it's not always convenient. They can't do it. They might not be able to do an oil change in, you know, 20 minutes or less. But guess what? It should take longer than that to really look a car over. You know, if if you have to go someplace, it takes an hour to, to change the oil. It's probably because they're going over a checklist and they're checking everything that you've got. They put your car up on a lift. It's not just something you drive over and some, you know, minimum wage person is is just basically unscrewing the oil filter and screwing another one on and checking a few other minor things. Um, it's just not as thorough. And, of course, you know, at my dealerships, we do the first two years of maintenance for free because we want to establish that pattern of using us, you know, when you have an issue because we know how it pays off down the road. Okay, I'll take my last break and be back here in just a minute. You know, I think the EV tsunami that they say is coming at us is kind of like the Republican um, tsunami that, you know, really didn't happen. Um, they, they're just not selling that many of these things, folks. I know that the industry is so in love with EVs. Uh, Tesla, through September, sold 156,000 Model Y. That's the best-selling EV, 156,000. Uh, Ford will sell like 850,000 F-150s. Tesla Model 3, 144,000. And then way down at third is the Ford Mustang Mach-E, 28,000 is what's been sold between January and September. And then you have the Tesla Model X, Tesla Model S, and then a Hyundai uh, Ionic, I think that's how you say that weird name, 18,202, and good old, down at number 10, Nissan Leaf, the original electric car. Well, probably not the original, but probably the first serious electric car. Only has about 150 miles of range. They sold 9,261. I can't imagine buying a car that has 150 miles of range. Well, I think the extended range version now has 215 miles of range. And I sell them. I just don't sell many of them. But so, you know, it's more of a trickle, but it's, they say it's going to, you know, revolutionize all. I just don't buy it. Uh, Maybe around here and in the South, uh, we might see more, I guess, wider acceptance of the EV thing as soon as they can develop some type of charging network. But it's still... I'd say we're 10, 15 years off from that, so don't worry about it. Go ahead and buy your gasoline-powered engine and keep polluting. That's all I can say. Okay, well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru, and you can reach me at 423-552-2020, or you can email me at mycarguru2020 at gmail.com, and we'll see you next time.